Hello, everyone. Welcome to Creation.Live. I'm your host, Trey. And in each episode of this show, ICR scientists gather with subject matter experts, apologists, and other special guests to discuss pressing issues, whether that be ICR's current research, something new that's come to light in the scientific community, or something else entirely that ultimately impacts how science points to our creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever the topic, we hope that these conversations are encouraging and enlightening in an increasingly chaotic world. I have with me today my co-host, Ivana. Hey. Uh, we have Tom, the Bible memory man, Meyer. Thank you. And we have Dr. Jim Johnson, ICR's chief academic officer. Thank you all so much for being here today. Mm-hmm. Tom, we know that you uh, are called the Bible memory man, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to talk about what led you to your faith in Christ? Uh, do you have a story for us? Well, uh, it's nothing too dramatic. It's not like a donkey talk to me or anything like that. Yeah. But Unfortunate. <laughs> I was, um, I was a, a young child, like five or six years old, and I knew, I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew that there was life after death, and I didn't want to go to hell. And um, we, uh, well, my parents, you know, to back up a, a minute, my parents, they, they got married and they weren't saved. Uh, growing up, my mom was in and out of all kinds of isms and cults and things like that. And my dad grew up with a, a, a not a strong, but a really soft, like Catholic upbringing. So they were not born again. And, um, but our neighbors in God's providence, our neighbors went to a really good sound, sound church and um, they, along with the pastor of the church, kept working on them and working on them. And then um, they, they believed. And, and then I was born. So I was born into a, a believing house, which is a blessing. And, um, and so you know, I know where I was at. I know that it was in April, even though it was, oh, Jim, we're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was 40, 40 years ago. 40 years ago, and I know I was in the laundry room, and I know it was in April, like I said. I know that there was a, a light shining through the window. It was the sun, not a <laughs> celestial light. But I remember there was a light shining in the window on me, and I remember that my mom led me to the Lord right there while she was doing laundry. So it was a strong impression as a child. And so I grew up then, like I mentioned, you know, in a believing home. And we would go to church on Sunday mornings, and we'd go to Awana on Wednesday nights. And, and so, I, you know, and as a child, I really can point back to certain areas that were really formative in my life. I know that when I was a child, the Holy Spirit was working through me. Because I, I, I would, I, I would uh, share the gospel as, a, as an 8-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as an 11-year-old with, with family and friends. And, and, and then... On the other side of the coin, I, I loved baseball growing up, and I still do. And I collected baseball cards. I had like literally a hundred thousand baseball cards. I wish I still had some of them, though. It might help <laughs> <laughs> pay the bills, but they're so crazy expensive. But um, um, but I would memorize the back of baseball cards. And looking back, I could see how the Holy Spirit used that exercise of memorizing the back of cards to kind of maybe like hardwire my mind, maybe mm-hmm. to to memorize his word right now. So uh, after high school, I uh, worked with my family business for a while. And when I was, I didn't start college then until I was like 26. I felt 
that I would just work with a family business because that's what everyone does who has my last name. And, um, and I did that for a while, but it's, it was a good business, a good way to make a living and et cetera, but I wasn't content. I knew that's what I wasn't supposed to be doing with my life. And even while working with my dad, like I would just be reciting scripture to books, small books and chapters to myself at work, you know? So God was working in me even before I went off to college and then I went off to college, and the rest, as they say, is his story. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it's fascinating to me. We, I mean, between the guests that we have, it's just it's a very different story, and it's mm-hmm. good for our audience and yeah. listeners to learn. You know, there are people who are saved when they're young. There are people who go off into the military and lead a relatively wild life, and then you know the Lord grabs a hold of them, and so that's awesome. So yeah. So with that, can you tell us? So you've you started early memorizing scripture so actually i didn't I, well, started, I started memorizing well when you were t- i would say t- you know you were in your 20s well, that's not early to me though that's early <laughs> that's, that's real early <laughs> early to me is like relative like a five-year-old right. would be early or yeah. a six-year-old okay so medium <laughs> age <laughs> right <laughs> and so that's when it kind of started so now right. how much i don't know if you have a, a list of maybe the books that you have currently memorized well you know i never I know I know about 20 books, complete books, but that can be deceiving because, number one, when, when King David counted the people, as you know, he got in big trouble, right? God was not pleased with him in doing that census and a sense of pride. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't count the verses and I don't even like counting the. I know Genesis 1 through 11. That's not a book, right? Mm-hmm. But Philemon's a book or Obadiah's a book. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to look at it that way, but I know that's the world that we live in and how we measure things by. So yeah, it's taken me 20 years to get 20 books memorized. Impressive regardless. So Well, you know, it's line upon line. It's not like, you know, Aaron Judge woke up in spring training and said, I'm going to hit 62 home runs this year. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you just go to do your work, you go to bat, right? And, and if you do all the hard work, the success will come. God blesses you. And so that's what it was, is just putting all the time and all the energy and all the effort and all the hours that no one sees but me and God and memorizing all the stuff so I could get to a point where I become the Bible memory man and inspire others to do the same. And how do you decide which books or sections of verses that you want well, to memorize? Well, that's a good question. Uh, number one, I'm not, even though all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, I'm not going to memorize Leviticus because I would rather memorize something maybe, obviously as everyone is watching and listening knows, something more, maybe a little more applicable, so uh-huh. to speak. I might memorize portions of Leviticus, maybe that have to do with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, or things like that. But the dietary laws and things like that is a, is a Gentile, mm-hmm. right, who's not under the law. What um, purpose is that, you know, well, for it, you? To memorize it. What yeah. purpose is it to memorize it? But it's there in black and white, so it's divine. So there's right. still, right, it's profitable, right? Absolutely. So, but I would memorize something maybe like, you know, I would suggest when people are getting going, something with light at the end of the tunnel, you know, something like Ruth. That they could already kind of walk through the account. I don't like using the word story. I, I, I like narrative or account. Because when I think of a story, I think of Pinocchio or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think of something like, that literally, actually, historically tale. happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything in the scriptures did. So I would recommend something small like that, like Ruth, or some of the Psalms. You know, I started doing a, The first book I ever memorized was actually the book of Joel. I'm, you know, each of us, as you know, are wired differently. You know, some are hands, some are mouth, some are feet. But even within that, you know, 
like a, a mouth, like the speakers for the great recital that we had here, right? Some of them are more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Maybe more soft. I'm more of a brawler. Yeah. You know, I'm more of like a son of thunder than someone maybe a little softer who's who was here for the great recital. And so we have different, we're wired differently. So I like the apocalyptic literature. I like the the heavens being rolled together like a scroll and, the, and, the, and you know, that kind of stuff, that end of the world <laughs> kind of stuff. And that's just how I'm wired. So I, the first thing I memorized was Joel. And then I did Jonah and a lot of the minor prophets. So I did 10 years just memorizing Old Testament. That's it. Nothing but Old Testament. And then te- the last 10 years just memorizing New Testament. What do you think led for you in this direction of like, I've, because most people memorize like bits and pieces of scripture, right? They're, you know, they have their verses that they lean on in times of trouble and when they're rejoicing. But like, what about you? What led you to, I should memorize an entire book. What led to that? Well, uh, two stages. Number one is is growing up in church as a kid. I was really bored. I just was. I mean, my pastor, he did the best he could. It's not a knock on him or his character or anything or his delivery or anything, but I was just bored, you know? So I would, instead of the, just listening to that, which didn't hold my attention and didn't engage me, didn't grip me, you know? So I would just read the most famous accounts in the history of the world, the most miraculous things that have ever happened on God's green earth from here, mm-hmm. right? And I'm thinking to myself, why can't someone just speak that by faith? Like, I know you need verse-by-verse teaching, and I know you need exegetical teaching and preaching and all that, but why can't we just hear God's voice sometimes? Because if you think about it, in the most literal sense, we don't hear God's voice throughout the week. We really don't, which is kind of tragic. We have his word, he's spoken, but you don't hear him. You know, when we read our Bibles at home, we don't read it aloud. When we're in the car, we're not listening to, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise. We don't, we don't, so we don't, and we go to church on the weekend, we don't hear his voice. We talk about him, which is good, and those, and in the commentaries, that's good, and we sing about him, but we, so I want, I want people to hear the voice of God. And so that's why I go for the longer passages and, and, and for the books. And plus, since that's what I was called to do for a ministry, for a, you know, for that's why I'm here to do a 30 or 45 minute sermon as you know, you can't do the little verses here and there, right? You've got to do a full swath. Right. That's really awesome. So I want to actually direct this question at Dr. Johnson. Dr. Johnson, why do you think that people don't memorize scripture? Uh, Some people don't have memories that are as good as others. And then the other thing I forgot the other thing. <laughs> there it is. There it is. All right. Well, we have it coming from without and within. That's why we don't memorize. Mm-hmm. We have it coming from without. We have so many copies of the Bible, right, Jim, that we don't even know what to do with them. You have a tattered up Bible. You don't even know what to do with it. You don't. You can't throw it away. It's the word of God. So we, <laughs> so we have so many copies. I was at the store not too long ago, and, I, and then in the 99-cent bin, Jim, with the coloring books, for 99 cents, the oracles of the living God. And I'm thinking to myself, how much blood was spilled to preserve, to faithfully transmit that? And we have it coming out of our ears, so we think we'll never be taken away from us. And then plus we have every translation under the sun on our phone or tablet. And so it's just like, so we have, so, and we live in that copy, paste, Facebook, tweet, file, forget world where we don't have to memorize anything and we love it. Yeah. So we have it coming from without that we don't memorize. And we have it coming from within. Let's get real. We don't hide God's word in our heart like we should. We just don't. 
It's not a knock on anyone's character. It's not. Mm. But my best friends in the world are professors. They don't memorize. They'll be the first to tell you. Okay? They will. They don't do it seriously. They may have had some verses memorized back in the day, but they're not consistently, currently, actively working on memorizing Habakkuk chapter 2. <laughs> you know? So not only professors don't do it, and it's not, a, again, it's not a knock on their character in any way, shape, or form. They're redeemed, they're sealed by the Spirit, they're my best friends in the world. But pastors, generally speaking, for the most part, don't memorize. When's the last time on a Sunday morning you heard the pastor who was speaking from 1 John or something, before he did it, said, that which was in the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. You don't hear it. So if they don't do it, the pastors don't do it, the professors don't do it, parents aren't going to do it. And we have this cycle, so it's pushed off, hiding the word of the living God in your heart so you don't sin against him. One of the most important, important spiritual disciplines that we can have is pushed off into the five-year-olds. And my brethren, these things ought not so to be. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And there's so many benefits that we can get into later, but so many benefits that come from memorizing Scripture. When it's always on a screen in front of us, you know, we don't have the incentive either. I think of like in, in Old Testament times when not everyone had their own individual or 20 different copies of that. <laughs> and so they had to hear it right. from someone. No one had a copy at home. The only one who had a copy at home was the rich and the famous who could afford it. Like the queen of uh, uh, Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Remember that account when she sent the eunuch down, the Ethiopian eunuch to pick up a scroll? And she got a, it was, I don't know if it was the whole Tanakh, the whole Hebrew Bible. Or it was just Isaiah. I don't know which one. But anyways, remember he was on the way home and the mm-hmm. prophet heard him reading it aloud and and so it was very rare in antiquity for someone to have a copy at home. You had to go to the temple. You had to go to the church. You had to go to the synagogue to, to hear it. And, um, and, you know, if I said everyone's Bible is going to be taken away in a thousand days, you'll never have a Bible again. You know, you say, well, I think I should maybe start memorizing. You know, something like that. <laughs> Now's the time to start. Because right. yeah. God has spoken. We have his word. He's revealed himself to us. There's not going to be a 67th book tomorrow. Okay. And if you want to hear his voice, you have to know his word. And the way to know his word, right? Hiding it in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if you wouldn't mind going into maybe some of the ways it has impacted your life. That's a great question. Why should I do it? Well, keeping aside the clear commands from Scripture that tell us to do it, and there aren't like a zillion clear commands in Scripture that tell us to memorize, right? Because it was so common back then, I think, that everyone did it. You have like, of course, the... Like Psalm, the famous one, Psalm 119, 9 through 11, wherewithal or how shall a young man cleanse his way? Good question. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. So pause. So what is the best way um, to keep your way clean? What is the best way to keep yourself from wandering from his commandments? What's the best way for you and your kids and your grandkids to seek him with your whole heart? Verse 11. Memorize him. Then why doesn't anybody do it? If that's what, if that's what all those benefits come from that, nobody does it. So they're, they're innumerable, the benefits that come from it. To answer your question, they really are. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you can set your affection, your mind, your heart on things above, not on things of the earth. The heart, as you know, is, is the most important part of your body in the eyes of God. Figuratively speaking, the heart's mentioned 830 times in scripture. It's the inner control center. That's why he tells you to hide his word in your heart. Because he knows that out of your heart come 
<laughs> it's not good, right? Yeah. The heart is, 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 how does Jeremiah deceitful. 17 go? Deceitful yeah, yeah. and desperately wicked. So having it in your heart, it, it gets you more in tune with the mind of God. That's good stuff. It provides you with, if it's in here instead of on your phone or on your shelf, it provides you with words of comfort in times of need. You know how it is. You can't like flip through the family Bible when you're in an emergency or something and you need to have a word from God or to share a word from God from, in I mean, a chapter and verse, right? Mm-hmm. It also, like it provides you with your weapon of choice. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Remember how he fought with the devil? Remember his weapon is he spoke scripture that he probably memorizes a young person. Two more real quick. Having it in here versus on the phone or on the shelf, it informs you who you and your kids and your grandkids are in the light of God's word. If you're told something loud enough and long enough, you can believe it that, you know, you went from ooze to the zoo to you by a series of time and chance over billions of years and somehow that's fake news. Right? You were made in the image and the likeness of the living God about 6,000 years ago. Right? And those verses that remind us that he's made you a little lower than the angels, that he's crowned you with glory and honor, that he's given you dominion over the works of his hands, that he's put all things under your feet, that you have boldness and access and confidence to it. See, you can't think that way unless it's in here first. And I can go on and on with the benefits, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to come here today is to inspire the people at home that you can do this. You and your family can memorize a verse a week. If you just did one verse a week, you can do a whole book of Jonah, the whole book of Titus in less than a year. Put it in a perspective like that. Yeah, that's yeah. actually, that's very attainable. It uh, is attainable. Yeah. You're right. So speaking of scripture, uh, Aside from the memorization portion, uh, I know some people have questions like, can we trust the Bible? Is, is what we read in the Bible, do we have proof that it is accurate? So I'd like to, to talk about that with y'all. So I know that you, uh, well, I know that you went to Jerusalem. You spent a lot of time in Israel. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I lived there for a thousand days. I earned two master's degrees on Mount Zion. And, um, you know, my taxi driver in the Holy Land, his name was, was Ishmael. And I, I would say, Ishmael, and, and he's a Muslim. He, and I would say, and, and he's not like, it's not like he went to the temple mount, or they would call Al-Aqsa mask. Uh, uh, it's not like he went there like every week. Like he was just what you would say, like a very like nominal Muslim, you know? I said, why do you believe the crown is true? And then he would look at me like, I'm from a different country which I was, but he would say, why do you think it's true? And he would say, because it says it's true. <laughs> well, we do the same thing. I mean, we're right. Okay. We're right in this instance. So we can do that. We can say that, that circular reasoning, right? Based on God's who cannot lie. His word is true, but you can't play that card necessarily. But that's where, again, that's where scripture comes in. Cause faith comes out hearing and hearing by the word and the word is what convicts the spirit convicts through the word. Mm-hmm. So, but when, when you go to some liberal wacko university, you can't say, well, the Bible's true because I, because it says it's true. Even though it's true, you know that that's not going to work with most people. Right? If that's all you say, they'll tell you, they'll tear you apart. They'll anyway. tear you apart. Yeah. So you have to have, you don't have to, but it's nice to have some aces in our sleeve, as it were, to show that, first of all, just speaking of the transmission of the text, that it's accurate and reliable. This year is the 75th anniversary, the Diamond Jubilee of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And before, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, as everyone knows, date to a little bit before and a little bit after the time of Jesus, okay? And I like to call the Dead Sea Scroll Library. 
And in that library, they found different genres. And as most people know, they found commentaries, which is pretty neat. You can get those English-translated commentaries. It's really cool to see how this particular sect of Judaism, it doesn't say they were the zealots, or I'm sorry, the Essenes at Qumran. It doesn't say that. There's no proof that they dwelt there, but they could have, right? So whatever group was there, whatever sect of Judaism was there, we know that they were very like... Like me, <laughs> like this Sounds is the of thunder. Yeah, like, <laughs> this is the end. Messiah is coming. This is the end of days. Everything's just going to crack and break, and he's going to enter into space time history a second time and judge the world. And that's how they wrote their commentaries. And we could read those today. We can get English translations of those, which is amazing. So that one group was a commentary. Then another group was uh, like basically like a manual, a code book on, on how in this like Bible college, so to speak, like you had to think and practice. And all these very interesting rules that existed in this community. And then there were, um, as was famously known, a, a complete or a partially complete collection of every single book of the Bible in the Old Testament, I should say, ever found. Maybe everything but Esther. There's debate on if Esther was found. But the reason they wouldn't like Esther, of course, is because it doesn't mention Jerusalem, it doesn't mention prayer, it doesn't mention God's name, it doesn't mention any kind of Jewish customs or mannerisms that have to do with religiosity, maybe except fasting. So whatever the case may be, though, but but when they take those first century plus or minus tax from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they lined them up with the oldest Hebrew, complete, even though it wasn't complete, Hebrew Bible in the entire world before those were found 76 years ago, which was the Aleppo Codex, which dates to about 950 AD. Think of that. 76 years ago, when your grandparents were alive, the oldest complete Bible, even though it wasn't complete, in the entire world was from a thousand years after Jesus. It's crazy. And then when you take the Dead Sea Scrolls, though, which are a little bit before and a little bit after him, and you put them on top of each other like that and look at them, they're like 99.9 whatever percent the same. God has faithfully transmitted his word. What? So when you pick up the word today and you read it, even though it's a translation, you know it's the word of God. And the reason I can say that is because when Paul quotes the Old Testament, as you might know, when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, when anybody quotes the Old Testament in the New, they always quote a translation. Mm-hmm. So if you have a good translation you can quote the Word of God too. So I wanted to know, with this time that you had in Jerusalem, was this what led to furthering more of your memorization, or did it just kind of go with it? How, how do those relate? Yeah, well, you know, um, there's certain things that you, you can't learn in a, in, in a classroom in America. You know, like everyone who was of my stripe, you know, you graduate Bible college with a BA, you stay in America, Right. And you go sit at Dallas Seminary or at Corbin or some other or faith or some school and you sit in the classroom and you learn how to parse verbs. Right. And you and you just double down, which is not there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. And, you you know, you double and triple down what you have previously learned. But I would rather go walk around Megiddo all day or something like that or walk from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee instead of parsing verbs. I know parsing verbs is very important. Don't get me wrong, it is. I have great friends, mm-hmm. great friends, who I have to rely on them to help me with, with, with linguistic questions because they're experts at it. It's just not my, my gifting. You're not wired that way. I'm not wired that way. It doesn't mean I shouldn't have a handle on it, right? But they've got that down pat. So, you know, so there's certain things that you can't learn except you're, if you're in the Holy Land. 
And, and one of the primary things I learned was how to memorize. Because in that part of the world, they still, they really do memorize. They have a high view of orality in that part of the world still. And, uh, I mean, the Quran is ungodly, as everyone knows. But it, the word Quran means recite. So any serious Quranic student worth their salt will be able to recite, recite. The oral law for the Jews, the Mishnah, the Talmud Mishnah means repeat, i.e. from memory. I was told of eight-year-olds in, in, these, in, in, the, in Christian monasteries, eight-year-olds who know all 150 psalms from memory. And you might say, well, they don't know what propitiation means. It's like, who cares? Okay, you get it in them when they're little lambs when they're good at memorizing, get it in them when they're little lambs, and then when they're strong rams, then you start to uncrack. Okay, here's what propitiation means. Here's what et cetera means, because you already have it in there. Mm -hmm. And so I learned from the best. I rubbed shoulders with these people for a thousand days, and I was able to glean from them the three major ways to go about memorizing. What are those? <laughs> I thought so you would that. that was a wonderful segue right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, to make a long story short, they're all in here. This is called Memorization Study Bible. So, the th so what I did is I took everything I ever learned about how to memorize in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and I included it in this New Testament Study Bible. So the three pillars are, um, number one is to memorize by, by reading. Now, let me explain a little bit. The keys are the following. To read aloud when you want to memorize a passage, read aloud. Nobody reads aloud in the West. Mm -hmm. You don't. When you're at home and you're reading the news or you're reading your tablet or something, right? You don't read it aloud. When you're watching TV and the text calls on the screen, you don't read it aloud. When you get a text, you don't read it. No one reads aloud. When you read a book at home, you don't read it aloud. The only time you read aloud is to the kids or grandkids at bedtime. That's it, you know? So we're not used to it. And that's in private. In public, it's forbidden to read aloud. Totally in our culture. It's an unwritten rule. You cannot do that. So we're just not used to it. But if you can read aloud, a different part of your mind, trust me, a different part of your mind is at work. Your mouth is smart. Your mouth has a memory. It shapes. It has a memory. It speaks it. It goes out through the ears back into the heart. You have a tenfold better chance of retaining what you want to memorize by reading, not only reading it aloud, but this is another thing that we struggle with is, is the power of format. So I've had the same Bible over 30 years. I purchased it many times over, but I've had the same old school field study Bible. The, the notes are good except chapter one, oh, yeah. <laughs> as you know. <laughs> I've got mine too. Uh, yes. But I know where everything is. I know where Jeremiah 35 is on the page without even whatever. I don't have it memorized, but I know where it's at. Right, I know where Ezekiel 48 ends on the page. That is huge when it comes to memorizing. So I would recommend those watching or listening for your kids and your grandkids, don't go trans changing translations on them 10 times. Nay, not even the codex. Stick with the train. I use other translations when I'm, you know, preparing notes or commentaries or writing a paper, you know what I mean? Or preaching or teaching. I'll look online, but that's not my go-to, my book, you know? And so, it really does help. It, you, you photograph in your mind's eye whether you, whether you realize it or not where things are at on the page. So much so that the Jews, I would go to the Jewish yeshivas, which are like the equivalent of, the, of, of um, like seminaries. And I would ask them, I would say, 
how do I've heard of some of you who are so amazing that they have the Talmud, which is this Encyclopedia Britannica size collection, right, of how to live a good kosher Jewish life. This is what they study when they study the 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 oral law, and it has these different volumes. And this is totally true. There's a group of them where you could take out like volume Shabbat, open it up to 58A. Everything's A B, and then you could take a pin and 58. Obviously, they need to get a life, but you could. Put, take a pin and put it through 58A, and they will tell you, I'm not kidding, Jim, what word and what letter it went through on 58B without you, them looking. Yeah. Because they looked at it so many times. They're so familiar with it. That's yeah. the power of format. So if you go from here to the, because they get it. So if you go from here to the end of the world, not only can you not buy a translation, well, you could, but a tran- no one uses a translation of the Talmud, right? But every single page is exactly the same. So reading it aloud, number one. Number two is hearing. And this is another thing that's unconventional, but it's true. The Bible is originally, keyword, it is originally meant more for the ears and the eyes. It's faith comes by. Hearing. Be doers of the word, not hearers. hearers only. I charge you. Listen to this by First Thessalonians. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read aloud unto all the holy brethren. Well, if it's a charge, when's the last time you heard First Thessalonians recited or read aloud on Sunday? Never. And it's a charge. Like, what are we doing? So the Bible is originally meant more for the ears than the eyes. It's just since the advent of the print, way after the printing press, things have flipped, and now it's the opposite. I compared to reading Mozart versus hearing Mozart. You know, like we, when we had the great recital here, right? I'm just listening, and I'm thinking to myself, it's so powerful. It's so powerful when you just let God speak. We don't need your commentary. We don't need your funny canned jokes. We don't need your illustrations. We, I mean, just, I want to hear God. And there's something to it about someone, especially who has it memorized, because if they have it memorized, it's dwelt in their hearts. They've thought about it. They know where to put the emphasis. They, You know what I mean? They've gone over it so many times. And so I compare it to reading Mozart versus hearing Mozart. Like you could read Mozart on the page all the day long. Right, and say, oh, I bet you that sounds nice. Right? That's what we do when we read the Bible. We just read it on the page. But then to hear it played, especially if it's played for Mozart's played from memory, someone who's internalized it, someone who believes it, you could it's like, oh my goodness, this is the same thing, but it's not. Right? That's how it is. So That's a great I, analogy. Well, thank yeah. you. So I would recommend for those who want to memorize that way audibly, is that two things. Number one, I have a friend in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Jim, who had a two-hour commute every day from Fort Wayne to Muncie. And he just listened to a chapter of Romans at a time. It took him 18 months, but he memorized the whole book of Romans just sitting in traffic. I want Roy in prison with me. Do you know why? Because he can actually, he can feed me. I know testimonies are important. I know those kind of things are huge, right? But when push comes to shove, right, I want to hear God's word, right? And he can tell it to me. Most people can't. And so that's a great way to go about memorizing. Just listen to chapter at a time when you're in the car. And also, if you have little ones, if you have kids or grandkids, it's in the power of your hand to do it. When they go to bed at nighttime and you kiss them and tuck them in and turn the lights off and whatever, you know, just you can press play. It's all you have to do is just press play and let the word of God wash. Even when they're babies, do not doubt me. Even when they're babies, let it play over them. Just let John or James and let it do it over and over and over and they'll memorize it. And if you want them to go to sleep fast, just put on First Chronicles. There you go. <laughs> That's good. And then third and finally is memorized by writing it out, by writing it out. So our Bibles, every Bible in the world is printed in such a way 
that it's not easy on the eye. The verses are not printed to make it easy for you to memorize. So when you write it out, and it's all formatted in here in the memorization. So I take each verse and, and I break it down. And, and so I line up the fours. See that? Mm-hmm. And I lined up the ands and the buts and the ifs and the conjunctions. And so instead of a big verse, when they would memorize in antiquity, they would take eight words or less on each line. And so you're going for these little bite-sized pieces, eight words at the most per line, instead of a verse that has, you know, 74 words or something at it. And so I just write it out over and over and over and over again. If you can say it when you write it, then your mind, your eye, your hand, your mouth, your ear, they all work together. I better take a drink. (laughs) Well, awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, I'd actually, uh, unless you had something else to say. Mm -hmm. No, okay. Uh, I'd I'd like to shift gears a little bit uh, because I also know that you have an interest in archaeology. And let's bring uh, Dr. Johnson on this as well. Archaeologically speaking, do you have, this is for both of y'all, do you have a favorite, uh, we'll say, evidence for the truth of Scripture from an archaeological standpoint? Well, off the top of my head, I like what's come from the Temple Mount Sifting Project because the the big to-do is, is that the Jews do not have any religious or historical claims to Jerusalem. And if you ask a Palestinian or any Muslim on the street, they'll say that there, not one stone in Jerusalem is Jewish, that there is no evidence that a temple was ever here. And, and then therefore, that sets the, the, the status that there will never be a third temple here, which there will be a third temple there one day. So I love it in the light of that, right? What is the Temple Mount? So the Temple Mount Sifting Project in the late 90s and the early 2000s, to make a long story short, the Muslim walk, the WAQF, they're the custodians of the holy places in Jerusalem. So the Muslims open and close the Church of the Holy Sepulcher every day where Christ was resurrected. He was not resurrected in the garden tomb. That's, that's, it's impossible. We can talk about that later if we want. But we'll just say for, we know he wasn't in the garden tomb because, I'll just say it, it's because of the dating. Christ was buried in a tomb that no man had ever been buried in before. In the garden tomb, someone was buried in there in, the, in Iron Age II, which is 1000 BC to 586. So how could that be the empty tomb if someone was buried in there because he was buried in a tomb that no one had ever been buried in? So let's just say, for sake of argument, it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. They're the ones who open and close that door. So they have total control over these holy places, the Muslims do, because of the status quo. So they could do what they want, when they want, on the Temple Mount, the most controversial 35 to 40 acres of real estate on God's green earth. And so like I was getting it in the late 90s and the early 2000s, they dug out X amount of guts of the of semi-loads of the temple in the southeast corner to there's an underground structure that you can't see. And they, they enlarged that to make a mosque down there. And so they took all of these semi-loads, 19 ton per semi-load, and just took the guts out because they don't believe a temple was there. They believe there's no Jewish history there. So they just dump it, right? Irreverently dump it. Well, make a long story short, the Jews finally got control of what was left over of those X amount of semi-loads after weather and rain and pickers and looters, and they brought it to Hebrew University, put it under lock and key, and we went through it bucket by bucket by bucket by bucket, and you sift it. And they found everything that you can imagine. Just It's amazing what they found, how it demonstrates that the Bible's true. There really was a temple here. I mean, even, even if the book of Jeremiah was a movie, I get Eliah, who... If it was a movie, it would have like just like two or three speaking lines, okay? Like barely any lines in the movie, in the book of Jeremiah. They found his own personal seal. 
his seal that says Gedaliah on it and has a fingerprint on the back of the seal, which could be the potter's or maybe his, who knows? But if you can find something like that, right, which demonstrates the reliability and the accuracy of Jeremiah, right, what, how much more? So it's just the amount of evidence that it's a tsunami of evidence that demonstrates that, yeah, the Bible's true. There really was a temple here, which we already know. Right. But they don't. And they refuse to believe. Well, right? they do, but that's archaeology isn't going to win someone over. It's as you know, it's the word that the, the word of God working in their heart, the Holy Spirit working in their heart through the word is what wins them over. But we have this, like I said, this tsunami of evidence that demonstrates that this is truth. Dr. Johnson. Well, when I think of archaeology, and that's in some ways a trash science because you're digging in old trash. <laughs> sure. And, and a, a, lot, a lot of the good stuff's already been taken. Right. Uh, but um, even that which is left by, by, um, by whoever, because they didn't think it was important to keep it and take it somewhere else, often will illustrate the reliability of Scripture. Uh, my favorite is probably the Moabite stone um, because I spent a lot of time studying it, uh, translated it, and there's one aspect of it that buttresses the accuracy of Scripture. And by buttress, I mean it, we don't need it to know that Scripture is accurate, but it, it adds extra support. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Instead of being the main witness in a, in a courtroom trial, uh, the Moabite stone is like a helper witness who, who says something that corroborates what the main witness said. And one of the things that the Moabite stone is about, it's, it's an inscription on what looks like a, a tombstone. It's about a yard high. And it's a king, a heathen king, bragging about how great he is. So his name is Mesha. He's mentioned in Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 4, as the king of Moab. And uh, in his inscription, where he's talking about all his great accomplishments, he mentions in the first couple lines that he's from uh, Divon, uh, which in our Bible is D-I-B-O-N. And that's uh, an interesting thing in itself, but without getting into too much of the details, because I enjoy it so much I'll get carried away. <laughs> Uh, but but the main thing is, he brags about defeating the Gadites in a place called Atarot. And the uh, line in particular on that, and I don't have the me- I don't have the Moabite stone memorized. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's you. there's other things to memorize that are <laughs> yes, better as we've learned. Yes, there is. Uh, but the uh, the tenth line. And the man of Gad dwelt in the land of Atarot from time indefinite. And then he goes on to talk about how he conquered there. Well, if you read the portions of Scripture that talk about who got what land when the territories of the Holy Land were divided up by tribes, you had uh, the um, three pieces of land on the east side of the Jordan River, and then the rest of the tribes had land on the west side of the river. Um, Below the area on the east side of the Jordan River, coming down to the Dead Sea, you have a river that runs from east to west and dumps in the Dead Sea called the Arnon River. Below that, it's Moab. Above that was the land that belonged to the tribe of Reuben. And then above that was land that 
belonged to the tribe of Gad. The king of Moab, Mesha, brags about conquering places that are in the territory of Reuben. But he doesn't brag about beating the Reubenites. He brags about beating the Gadites. Why would he do that when he's talking about places that are in Reuben? Well, that indirectly corroborates a prophecy in Genesis 49 where Jacob is speaking to his uh, different sons, and he says, Reuben, you, your destiny and your tribe is going to act like you in character. Uh, your week is water. It wasn't complimentary, but it was the fact. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about Gad, and he said, you, you will be a warrior. The destiny of your tribe is you will be warriors. You will be fighting. You will be defeating, uh, that kind of thing. Well, when Mesha defeats this area in the, in the uh, territory of Reuben, it's nothing to brag about that you beat some Reubenites because they're weak as water. But the Gadites, who had land above that, came down and fought with the Reubenites against the Moabites. And for at least a certain period of time, and of course, the person who wins today might be the person who def is defeated next month. Right. But at the time that he's uh, having the a Moabite inscription carved out, um, he's bragging about the fact that he won in that area and he defeated the Gadites. Now, that's something worth bragging about. He didn't say, now the reason why I mention this is I want to corroborate the prophecy in Genesis 49 that predicted <laughs> that the Gadites would be great warriors and the Reubenites would be weak as water. Of course not. <laughs> no, he wasn't trying to corroborate Scripture. Right. He's a hostile witness. Mm -hmm. And in a courtroom setting when you're trying to prove something, when a hostile witness tells you what you're trying to prove, hey, you don't need, you don't need to go any farther. I mean, that's as proven as you can, you know, as you're happy to get. Now, being a politician, Mesha also uh, illustrates uh, that politicians tend to exaggerate. And in one of the lines, he says, uh, I have defeated uh, Israel forever. I mean, I've destroyed them forever. Well, Israel's still there. <laughs> and uh, I dare you to find a Moabite. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I do like the, the Moabite mm -hmm. stone. And then in a very different area of archaeology, uh, uh, an example that comes to mind is the Chinese language, and in particular the ancient version of the Chinese pictographic language, is actually an archaeological um, evidence that Genesis is accurate. And that's a whole other story, but uh, to try to summarize it in a sense or two, the, the pictographs that the Chinese use and chose to use back when they were inventing their own language, uh, the pictographs that they chose to use, which are little symbols like stick figures and things, they don't make sense unless the Chinese who were inventing those symbols we're familiar with the history of Genesis 1 through 11 because there are symbols such as their word for flood, which has the number eight in it as one of the ingredients of the symbol. Eight people survived the flood. The word boat, same thing. It has an eight in there as one of the ingredients of the symbol. Why would, why would that be there? It's because when they were inventing the Chinese language, that was still fresh in their mind. That had been told them by their ancestors of the great flood and how the boat, when you think of a boat, hey, that's the boat to think of. Um, but there are 
words that uh, remind us of the events of the temptation in Eden, of the punishment in Eden, of the uh, weeds that took place uh, as part of the curse, uh, not only the flood, but also the Tower of Babel, uh, all of the important historical facts that are in Genesis 1 through 11, which is the shared history of earth, because after that you have the languages split up, and people go separate ways, and they have separate ethnic histories. But the one thing that we all had in common was Genesis 1 through 11. And you really cannot explain um, dozens and dozens of Chinese pictographs apart from the book of Genesis. I know this is convincing because based on that, I led a Chinese friend to Christ. Wow. That's awesome, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys for sharing. I feel like every time we do a creation.live, I kind of... I hear everything that everyone shares. Um, I'm encouraged and excited, but then I love to just distill it down. So we've talked mainly about scripture and memorization, and then this archaeological evidence as well for the accuracy of scripture. So could you share with us, I feel like we're wrapping up soon, but you would just share with us for yourselves, how did that enrich your relationship with God and then with others, how that can you know be experienced in their lives as well? Being able to take a text like the Moabite Stone, which historically was written close to 3,000 years ago, and to see that it actually backs up what is in Scripture, and yet it's obvious that the author of that did not intend to do that. That's, that's uh, enjoyable to see. Of course, being able to use uh, a piece of ancient history, uh, such as the examples of, of uh, Genesis facts in Chinese pictographs, and to answer a friend's question, because his original question was, why should I trust the God of the Bible? Because the God of the Bible presented himself to the Western world. Why didn't he present himself to the Chinese? And so his hurdle to faith in Christ was, does God really care about me? Yeah, I never even considered that as a question. And when that answer, when that question was answered, that, oh, there is evidence that God had revealed himself and given his truth to the Chinese people, they had not been good stewards of it. When he saw that, that was all he needed to know. And that's when he came to Christ. If I gave you, no, not me, we'll say Jim. If Jim gave you $500 for every single verse you memorize next year, <laughs> do you think that you would take it seriously? Let's do it. Sounds <laughs> thanks, like we're doing thanks, it. Thanks, Dr. Johnson. How yeah. much more? Seriously, how much? I mean, do we really believe that it's more precious than rubies and all the things that you can desire are not to be compared unto it? Do you really believe that? And if you did, that filthy lucre would mean nothing to you. And you would, you could do it. You could hide a verse in your heart a week in the upcoming year, and you could memorize a whole book. The Word of God is a treasure. You can do it. You can hide God's Word in your heart. It's going to be difficult, but it's attainable. The blessings, the dividends that come from it are innumerable. And if it's in your hands, enemies can steal it from you. If it's in your head, you're going to forget it. But if it's in your heart, then you own it and no one can take it to you. We become like the God we worship. No matter who that God is. Well, there's only one God, but you know what I mean. You become like the God you worship. That's what the Psalter says. Okay? Well, then we need to do a better job and take it more seriously of letting this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what mind was in Christ? Law. You know, it's... That reminds me of something that I've heard several times is that we can say what we want to believe, 
that our actions reveal what we really believe. And so that action of memorizing scripture, like why don't we do it? If it is literally like there are people around the world who are dying to have some scripture and we have 15 copies on our shelves of it. Well, any closing thoughts, gentlemen? Um, yeah, I have yeah, some. You've been yeah. holding that up. Yeah. You should tell yes. us about it. So real quick, these are available in the ICR store. So this is the Memorization Study Bible. So if you or your kids or your grandkids want to take up the challenge, commit or recommit yourself to memorizing Scripture, I would get this. This takes all the tips, all the techniques I learned in Jerusalem and bottles it up in here. And then this is a good one. We've got more on the way too. But um, this is a verse-by-verse -verse commentary. This is also in the ICR store through the book of Proverbs. And a, a beautiful verse-by-verse -verse, uh, guide through this book of wisdom that takes all of the archaeology and geography and history and culture and mannerisms and all these things are learned in Israel and kind of sees it through that text verse by verse by verse by verse. So these are two excellent resources to get more serious, to dig deeper into God's word. Awesome. And we'll include links to those in the description of the video as well. And so awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope that this has been just a wonderful time and we hope that you've learned a lot. Uh, we encourage you to share this video, subscribe to our channel, and we'll see you next time on creation.live.